Hello and welcome to the Nutrient Nirvana History, Health and Wellbeing channel. Uh, I'm Paul, your host, and today I'm joined once again by one of my favourite health researchers, Clive DeCarl. How are you, Clive? Hello, Paul. Yeah, fine. Brilliant. Thank you very much. How about you? Uh, not too bad, mate. Not too bad at all, actually. Um, we've not spoken for about eight or nine months now, I think. So I've got loads of things to ask you and uh, talk to you about. Um, so before I start firing questions at you left, right and centre, um, is there anything on your radar at the moment? Anything that you're excited about? Anything that you're worried about, disturbed about? Anything at all? Worried about, disturbed about, well, the world's perfect, no problems out there, everybody's doing just fine, so that's not a problem. On the health front, I went to a conference this weekend, which was really interesting. I'm getting an echo, are you getting an echo? No, I don't think I am, no. Um, so, it was mainly about peptides, and peptides are small groups of amino acids you know when, when we eat protein we break it down into amino acids and peptides and then our body puts the peptides and amino acids back together again to build muscle and us basically so back in the 70s the soviet secret soldier program was not only investigating frequency devices which i, I think a lot of people know about but they were investigating uh substances that could be used to protect anybody uh, in battlefields. The Russian um, spies had worked out the Americans had a blinding laser, so up to top priority for Russian soldiers was to have, if they, if they were blinded, their retinas were burnt, how could they repair their retinas quickly and successfully? And they discovered, putting infinite amounts of money into the research, uh, they employed a a guy called Dr. Vladimir Kavinson, who was speaking at this event, who over 40 years ago uh, developed the retinal repair peptide. You know, incredible discovery. And since then, there are about 25 more peptides that have been discovered. The best-selling one, the most important one, which a lot of people wouldn't, have, wouldn't guess, is the pineal gland peptide, because the pineal gland controls sleep, rest it controls the uh, connection cosmic connection it controls uh it's anti you know it has uh it creates melatonin serotonin lots of happy stuff goes on there and if you've got enough melatonin then you're unlikely to get uh, have a cancer risk all sorts of fabulous advantages to the melatonin pineal gland peptide then there are ones for lungs and kidneys and eyes and hearts and brains and you know, most organs have got a peptide. And um, the anti-aging effect of these is well-proven, you know, hugely well-proven, uh, increasing lifespan by a third or, or more. And wow. because this was Soviet research, you know, they didn't just test on, like, 60 people in a trial. They tested on thousands of people for 20 years, you know, Hmm. massive research on peptides and people don't realize how powerful peptides are because it's not like a supplement where you take it every day with peptides you may be let, let's say you you are wanting to prevent a problem well you might take peptides for 10 days 
then you might take the next six months off and then do another 10-day course and another six six months off uh, because what what they are, peptides are gene switches. You know, doctors are told, taught that your genes determine your fate and there's nothing you can do about it. This is absolute rubbish. Of course, you by what you eat, what you think, what you do, you can alter your genetics. You can either express a gene un, in an unpleasant way or you can express the gene in a beneficial way. And just, you know, there are lots of herbs that do that, you know, ashwagandha. There are all, all sorts of herbs which are adaptogens. They help your body adapt to whatever situation you're in. And the peptides are a bit like that. Um, they allow your body to just return to the way it should be. And um, so one of the lectures uh, was from a dentist who touched uh, part of his lecture was about the work that the Japanese and others are doing with peptides to regrow cavities. Because if you've just got a cavity, well, you can regrow it. Even without peptides, you can regrow a, a cavity if you understand what the, the cause is. And I'll just briefly digress onto that. You probably might have heard me say this before, but you cut your finger, well, a healing has to occur. It's going to get hot and, you know, inflamed, and that burns the bacteria off. You know, healing, inflammation is healing, if you see what I mean. Doctors say, oh, you're inflamed, that's wrong, let's turn it off. Well, no, that's actually the body's healing process. So you know what happens. You you get a cavity in your hand, you know, you cut it open with a knife, well, it'll heal up. Cavity in your fingernail, you break your fingernail, it'll heal up. Cavity in your tooth, oh, my God, we've got to drill big holes in the tooth and fill it up with artificial materials. No, hang on a minute. Your teeth are regrowing all the time. They're not these dead things stuck there. <clears throat> so... Well, regrow it then. So or you, when you cut your finger, you didn't pour coffee on it and rub food into it. You left it alone, kept it sterile. If you did the same with your mouth and you had enough of the raw materials to build a new tooth, i.e. you've got enough minerals and vitamins and yet you're eating well enough that you can repair, then just like your fingernail, it'll grow back. What's the problem? Mm. So um, I went... When I was working with a medical doctor years ago, he said, um, I, I woke up one morning and I was in pain. Some, some, suddenly a cavity arrived. And he said, well, there's an ozone dentist around the corner who does ozone treatment for dentists. Go around there. He'll blow some ozone in the hole. That'll keep it sterile. Then he'll tell you what to eat and what not to eat. And the tooth cavity will grow back. It did. So now they're, they're working, scientists all over the place are working with peptides to regrow teeth because um, you can speed the process up by putting a peptide in there. I'm trying, uh, they gave me a, a free sample of one, one of the tooth serums. You know, there's so much development going on around the world right now around peptides. There are people, um, well, let me give you another example. Um, one of the medical doctors at this conference, they weren't all medical doctors, but a lot were. Uh, he, he's a surgeon. Uh, he does, he operates on knees and hips and so on, but not anymore, he doesn't, but not in the same way. He doesn't replace hips, hip joints or knee joints anymore. What they do is they take out about 10 mil of your blood, 10 or 10 cc's, whatever it is, of your blood, and they put it in a machine for about 24 hours and do stuff to it. And at the end of 24 hours, it's now a little solid 
lump of blood. Mm. And they take a scalpel and they cut off little tiny slivers of this. Then, let's say it's a knee joint, they make three little incisions at certain points around the knee, just two or three cent, two or three millimeters, tiny, and they put the little sliver of blood in, and that triggers stem cells to regrow the cartilage and bone and joints. Wow. Yeah. So they've been doing this at the University of Rome. Uh, this doctor uh, now works at Worthing Hospital. Um, he's Italian. His name is uh, Valerio Di, Di Nicola. Valerio Di Nicola. And the operation, if you were to do it privately, is about a tenth of the price of a knee operation or a hip operation. It's super cheap. It's not much to it. And people, people get better really quickly. And you know, at least a couple of thousand people have been successfully treated now over a few years. And you know, your local GP will find out about it in about 2050. Yeah, I was going to say, actually, yeah, what would the uh, reaction be to peptides with uh, the mainstream uh, medical? Uh, well, they don't know what a peptide is, I would suspect. <laughs> yeah, I think I told you a little while ago, I visited my doctor a couple of years ago to try and get my vitamin D levels checked. And he asked me, why are you doing that? And I said, well, because uh, we're going into flu season and I'd like to know what my levels are. You know, I like to, to sort of gauge how my immune system is functioning. And he said to me, vitamin D has nothing to do with the immune system. It's good for your bones, but it's got nothing to do with your immune system. And uh, I just, I couldn't believe it. I really was absolutely flawed. But it's, it's not his fault. He is ignorant and has been deliberately misled, lied to, and told that your body goes wrong, give it, give it a drug and hope for the best. Yeah. Crazy. It's not their fault that, that they're yeah. in the position they're in. Exactly. I mean, I'm being nice, obviously. <laughs> okay. The talking of the um, the peptides, the effects sound a little bit similar to nanosoma. Would, would well, again, uh, all these things, like the adaptogens, are just materials to help your body work as it normally should. But because mm -hmm. we're poisoned and nu uh, nutrient deficient and so on, we we need a kick from time to time. Mm to tell, remind our body what to do, either on an informational level or on a physical, nutritional-type level. Mm. Um, and we're all, you know, me included, we're all low on nutrients. Mm. We're yeah. all not getting the fresh food we ought to, you know, that kind of stuff. Absolutely. So are these peptides on the market at the moment? Yes, yes, yes. I've had them on my website for a while. Oh, okay. And just put pep, go down the list and you'll see peptides. And it opens up to about 25 different different ones. Most people take maybe two or three types at a time. Mm -hmm. I'm currently taking four. I'm taking the retinal peptide. I'm taking the pineal. I'm taking the, thym the thymus. And I'm taking the blood circulation one. Thymus is the one you'd want to do for the immune system, for example. <clears throat> Um, and I have in the past done one for lungs and other other things. Mm. So you can do it a few at a time. So if I say 10 days is, is fine, but some people might want to do a month course. or if they've got a serious issue that they wanted to deal with, they might want to do a two month course and then stop for six months. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's lots of information. I can show you something. Hang on. 
books. Uh, here, here's a book, The uh, Peptides in the Epigenetic Control of Aging. Um, then there's this one, bearing in mind it's Russian, uh, The Peptide Revolution. Wow, okay. Uh, and these, these, these are books that are, that are available. Um, one of the other speakers, uh, Dr. Marios Kyriasis, he write, wrote this book, The Eyesight Saviors, and uh, he and others are getting incredible results reversing not just retinal issues, but macular degeneration, and one that most ophthalmologists around the world say is impossible, which is retinitis pigmentosa. And they are clinically proven reversing, uh, to a very large extent, <clears throat> maybe not completely, retinitis pigmentosa. You know, just because the doctor says it's impossible doesn't mm. mean that it is impossible. It just means he doesn't know or she doesn't know how to do it. That's all. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, I've actually uh, suffered with Raynaud's syndrome for about 10 years now. So, um, would blood circulation peptides help me out with that, do you think? I've, um, I'm obviously taking magnesium, um, iodine, Vit C, Vit D, etc. And I've noticed this year that my Reynolds, as it's got colder outside, um, seems to be better than it has been previously. And I, I've been putting that down to magnesium. Um, but would the, the blood circulation peptides help me out with that? Well, um... I've not had direct experience with a, with a client who's had Raynaud's and used them. So, but I, I, I would assume so. And you can ring up the manufacturers who will happily talk to you and ask them. But I would say yes. But I would say that uh, iodine would be the thing that I would say is like to have the most positive influence for you. Iodine along with selenium. Okay. Well, why is that, Clive? Well... Iodine controls the thyroid. Thyroid controls temperature control. Mm -hmm. And, sure. uh, you know, so if you're if you're feeling it in your fingertips and so on, then iodine would be the place to start. And, you know, you've got the blue goals, I think. And yes, how, many, so how many drops have you been using? How many days? Well, um, I've got it down now to about, I'd say, 20 drops every 10 days on skin. Um, and that seems to be working okay. Oh, so, go, so that's almost nothing. Well, uh, I, I, sorry, I go by how quickly it absorbs. And, and how quickly um, does it absorb? Well, sometimes I'm waking up the following day after applying it at night, and um, I can very, I can still see very faintly a stain on my arm. Okay. Well, this is good, but it's not a hundred percent reliable as a test. Right. Okay. I would suggest you just experiment. There's no. It's very difficult to do harm with Lugol's iodine. You know, mm -hmm. Back in the day, they were giving doses that are way, way bigger than we're talking about. Yeah. Um, I would suggest if you tried six to eight drops in water, drink it. Mm -hmm. You know, Anybody listening who wants to try it, they need to study this subject mm -hmm. uh, and start with one drop and build up. And five days a week, if you, with Raynaud's, were to do five days a week for, let's say, six weeks six to eight drops in water, mm -hmm. along with the liquid selenium that's on, on my site, you might find a dramatic result. Mm. But you see, for every eight drops you paint on your skin, seven are going to evaporate or something like that. Yeah. So yeah. You, 20 drops now becomes, let's say, three drops if you're lucky. 
Mm. And that's not, that's not enough every two weeks. Not to not to deal with a thyroid issue or uh, you know or a deficiency. Really, it's just not enough. Um, okay, yeah. I was I was going to ask you about selenium as well because um, I don't actually take selenium. I do eat Brazil nuts every now and again, and I, I eat salmon and and uh, bacon, which I believe uh, have good levels of selenium in. But if I'm if I'm going to up my iodine like that. I would, I would, uh, I'll be completely honest with you, Clive. I love the look of your targeted selenium on your website. I've read about it a few times, and uh, I realised they were having amazing results. I think it was back in the eighties with uh, drug addicts in New York. I think it was um, getting them off heroin. It's, uh, it looks like a fabulous uh, supplement. At the moment, however, I'll be completely honest. It's slightly out of my price range out of my budget um so if outside of that i've looked into other selenium uh supplements but there seems to be quite a bit of conjecture about um how effective or bioavailable they might be so would what would my best bet be i mean how important is it if somebody's going to take iodine long term do they need to definitely be taking selenium at the same time as well no, they don't have to, but it would really help if they did. Right. You know, so there's, there's no danger of the selenium levels decreasing as the iodine goes up and you becoming deficient in selenium. Well, no, it's just that there are some areas where the soil has almost no selenium all over the world. And with modern farming methods, there's less than there was. But some places, some counties, whole counties, have very low levels of selenium and... Anybody who's got fibromyalgia, anybody who's got, you know, they're tired all the time, could well be um, selenium deficiency, could well be. Um, you know, huge areas in America where, where there isn't enough selenium in the soil. So, but we, you, know, you see, there are certain types of selenium you can buy out there online or whatever that basically are not, as you say, not very bioavailable and not really great. Mm -hmm. um, there's... Uh, the best one, apart from mine, is called selenomethionine. Yeah. That works pretty well. And you could probably buy a bottle of that, I don't know, for 10 quid or something. My one is 100 quid, but it lasts a year. So actually, long term, it's, it's right. actually fine value. Sure. Um, the problem is it comes in, I haven't got one in here, but it comes in a bottle like this size. And it's so small, that if, if we didn't do a year's worth, or because or, we can't dilute it, it's to be taken neat, um, uh, you wouldn't be able to read the label. So, uh, but also, if somebody's going to come off a prescription drug or a non-prescription drug, and they're they're an addict, booze or whatever, then they want to take a, a, a high dose for about three days. So normally the dose would be one one drop every one or two days. But somebody trying to come off something, as somebody who tried for 18 years to come off the ADHD medication, could never do it. Three days later on seven drops a day, came came off the ADHD medication first time in 20 years, no problem. Well, other people who've taken between 10 and 20 drops for three days mm -hmm. and come off booze or what have you. You know, it's there are other things to do as well if you're going to come off things like amino acids and fulvic minerals and vitamin C and charcoal and stuff. But Selenium is absolutely incredible at turning off antitoxins. So somebody gives up booze, gives up heroin, the body hasn't worked out, they've stopped. So the body's, 
been taking in this toxin and making antitoxins to try and deal with it. So you suddenly stop the toxin, and the antitoxins are what why people get the DTs, why people get cold turkey. Mm-hmm. It's not the lack of the drug. It's the antitoxins that are, that are hurting them. So selenium does a great job at neutralizing the antitoxins. I mean, selenium does loads of things. Mm. It's incredibly important. But taking the two together, I mean, I'd say that 90% of people are probably low on iodine anyway. Mm. So, you know, a year's worth of iodine, which is, again, one bottle, is 20 quid. Yep. Here's selenium 100. So 120 quid, you might be able to sort out your thyroid. You might be able to get your temperature control right. You know, anybody who walks in the room and forgets, forgets why they walked in compared to a few years ago when they could remember, you know, they're going to be low on iodine. Mm. You know, it's Absolutely. just so common. Anybody with dry skin, probably low on iodine. Mm. Anybody who's got menopause, probably low on iodine. Mm. And they mentioned on a previous show that in the Japanese language, they don't have a word for menopause because Japanese women don't get breast cancer hardly at all and don't often don't usually get menopause because of all the iodine in the seaweed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just moving back to iodine for a moment, um, should we be drinking it in water, as you suggest? Um, I've normally recommended to people that they paint it on the skin because I was under the impression that if you're drinking it regularly, it could interfere with the good bacteria in your gut because it's antibacterial. So is that is that a myth or is, is there any truth to that? Well, um, a lot of people have been using iodine for a long time and it, we are physiologically, we require iodine. I mean, think about back in the day. In England, in winter, there's not a lot to eat. So most people live by a river where they could catch fish or live by the coast where they could catch fish in winter because there's always fish in the sea. Now, when you're living by the sea, particularly around the British coast where there are lots of seaweed, you're breathing in iodine with the, the, the seaweed. Your seaweed deteriorates, gives off the iodine, and by the coast you're breathing it. So it depends, but quite a few people near the coast, if there's lots of seaweed around and they're breathing, they might have enough iodine. But for those of us who live inland mm. or don't eat sea fish, don't eat seaweed, uh, you know, probably you know, there's iodine in, in various soils, but not always. There's iodine in certain foods, but not always. But my experience, uh, mainly of giving people iodine and suddenly seeing the change, would lead me to believe it's most people. So anybody brushing their teeth in fluoride, which is a neurotoxin, they'll be low on iodine. Anybody's bought any new furniture soft furnishings which have fire retardant on which give out bromine they'll be low on iodine anybody who swims in a swimming pool anybody who drinks or bathes in water with chlorine yeah they're pretty much all of us are actually low on iodine unless we're really mindful about it yeah of course the bromine is also in supermarket bread as well isn't it not many people realize that a flower improver they call it that's yeah that's right so just by eating the supermarket bread you could be uh, depleting yourself of iodine um, so, so, yeah, I mean, let's say you go out to a cafe and have a cup of tea or a soup. Well, that's they won't have filtered that water, so that's going to be chlorine. Mm. I mean, yeah, we're really hit by poisons nonstop. Mm. So iodine, selenium, life-changing for a lot of people, surprising. Fantastic. Um, so uh, iodine is necessary for people that have hypothyroidism. But what about hyper... And hyper both. 
everybody, whether you've got a thyroid, whether they've removed it, whether it's functioning low, whether it's functioning high, everybody needs iodine. Doctors right. aren't taught enough about iodine. Yeah. And I, years ago, I went down to my local GP and said, look, I've got no thyroid problem. But if I did have a thyroid problem and I asked you to give me iodine, would you? He said, no, no, we're not allowed to. We have to give drugs. We can't give iodine. Even though 100 years ago, 150 years ago, 180 years ago, his doctor predecessors would have given iodine and they would have given, instead of levothyroxine, the patented drug, they would have given a natural bit of desiccated thyroid gland mm. from a cow or a pig or something, which, which works much, much better than what the doctors give, of course, because mm. it's a full yeah. spectrum. That's a crazy world, isn't it? Um, okay, so um, let's move on to the menopause. We've, we touched on that briefly a moment ago. Obviously, iodine is number one for anyone who's going through the menopause or approaching it. Um, is there anything else that you recommend for the menopause? Well, um, some women uh, use cohosh. Yes. Uh, black cohosh. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, there are a number of materials out there. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, let me give you a couple of clues. Some people get dry eyes. It's mainly women who get dry eyes, but men can get dry eyes as they get older as well. Do you know what they're lacking? They're lacking testosterone. If, you if you're low on testosterone, you can get dry eyes. Wow. And so there are women who've worked this out. They get some natural uh, testosterone bioidentical cream, rub a tiny bit on their eyelids. Uh, some of them will t use testosterone in other ways. But, you know, both men and women can become low on testosterone. It's important for both of us. And the problem is all the estrogen. So if people aren't filtering their water properly and the water's recycled through the sewage works and they're getting the birth control pill, the most commonly sold pill in the world, then they're getting too much estrogen, which will knock out their testosterone. So a lot of men are drinking water out of plastic bottles, getting artificial estrogen. They're drinking, eating soya, artificial estrogens. They're bathing in birth control pill water, drinking it you know no wonder there's a gender confusion going on yeah absolutely i mean for many years i was drinking water out of plastic bottles to avoid drinking the tap water but now obviously i realize about the bisphenol away and the estrogen issue so what i'm doing at the moment is i'm uh, distilling my water and then adding fulvic minerals or celtic sea salt to the water is yeah. that a, a method that's um you would agree with well that's fine i mean uh, the first thing is to to work out, ask your water supplier how much, if any, recycled sewage is in there. You know, has it been through the the plant or not? And because you know the type of seriousness you want to put to whatever filter you want is going to vary depending on on what you're dealing with. Mm. I mean, the reason I don't like distilled is purely the noise that the water distiller makes, and it's going to cost you now with electricity prices, going to cost you a fortune. Yeah. Um, so I don't like that element. I've got, uh, you know, I have it on my site. Uh, it's called an Osmio Fusion, which is this little countertop thing that cost me about 75 quid to have it plumbed in, even though I rent the place. And um, you can press the button for cold water, warm water, herbal tea, 
temperature water or boiling water, so I don't need a kettle anymore. And it's a fi- it's got five different little filters in it. Works great. But I'm I, I'm lucky. I my water is actually pretty pure anyway. Right. Um, but it's a lot cheaper than and quicker than mm. distillation. I find distillation just a pain. Really. <laughs> and, and I again put fulvic minerals or whatever I like yeah. in there because distilled is empty. Yeah. Uh, reverse osmosis is almost empty. Mm. And it's lost charge. You know, in an ideal world, you'd vortex it and mm. do all sorts of wonderful things to it. But mm. not you've got the time. But a good filter, I think, is absolutely vital because we are mainly water after all. Yeah. Your absolutely. brain, your eyes. You know, we just don't want to poison ourselves any more than we are being yeah. poisoned involunt- involuntarily. Of course, yeah. Um, okay, brilliant. I, I'd like to uh, tell you a very short story about a friend of mine who had a very interesting experience uh, a little while ago. He was a commercial airline pilot for over 40 years and uh, he was approaching retirement age and he was uh, landing the plane, parking it up and suddenly thinking to himself, I can't remember the descent. I can't remember doing it. Oh, dear. What's going on with me? Um, his father had dementia, so obviously he was thinking, oh, my God, you know, where, what's going to happen sort of thing. Fortunately enough, he's a, he's a very intelligent guy, and he started to research this for himself. And he found out that um, dementia or the symptoms of dementia can uh, often mimic a vitamin B12 deficiency. So he uh, managed to find a very good vitamin B12 um, supplement, good dose, started taking it and after a week or two um all symptoms were gone and he was back to normal which is pretty amazing but the 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 very disturbing aspect of that story is how many people have gone have have ended up with a b12 deficiency gone to their doctor being diagnosed with a neurological condition being placed on uh, very strong and toxic drugs i mean that's a very very scary thing to because to consider well absolutely and it happens all the time because the doctor's numbers they they'll test you and whereas i'd say oh you're low on b12 they'd say you're fine Mm. Uh, you could be one hair above the minimum and you're fine you know yeah um so it's not just well i mean it's multiple sclerosis Mm. alzheimer's dementia parkinson's all of those Mm. so every vegan i know every long-term vegan uh ran out of energy. B vitamins are about energy. And it's almost impossible unless you know what you're doing mm. to get B12 in particular, unless you're eating animal products. Mm. So B12 deficiency is super serious. And it, you know, it can be 10 years. The body is incredible at holding B12. Yeah. Uh, really incredible. But when it goes, then, then you get diagnosed with something nasty unless, mm. you, unless you realize what's going on. I absolutely agree with you on all that 100%. But the interesting thing about this guy that I'm talking about is that he was and still is a meat eater. And yet he must have been extremely low on B12, which I find a bit odd. He he was probably had digestive issues, probably for some reason not making the enzymes, the proteolytic enzymes needed to digest the protein. So he might might have been going in one end of the tube, but maybe not going into the body, just coming right out the other end, you know. Sure. There's digesting it, then then there's the ability to assimilate it actually into the cells. Mm. Yeah. So, um, you know, any 
uh, you know, if, let's say anybody over 50, uh, if they want to live long, they could consider taking digestive enzymes with a meal. So that, because as we get older, we don't digest as well as we did when we were young. Mm. Um, so there are a lot of people who like to take digestive enzymes with a meal because it helps them digest the food properly. Mm. Uh, and it may be that that was the person's problem. Yeah. Okay. That's your lack of stomach acid. I mean, again, you know, most people are told by a doctor if they've got acid reflux or GERD or mm. bloating, oh, you're, you're making too much stomach acid because it's the opposite. Mm. So anybody who's not making enough stomach acid, well, of course, they're not going to be able, be able to digest food. Yeah. And that's think, a lot of people. Yeah, sure. I think I'm right in saying that magnesium can help a lot with acid reflux as well. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. 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 How does, do you know how that works? Well, yes, it's the alkalinity. Um, uh, there, there are various different ways you can create stomach acid. And... Traditionally, you you would use acid to create stomach acid. I mean, the idea of having a glass of lemon juice first thing in the morning or something, the idea of having a couple of tablespoonfuls of apple cider vinegar in a glass of water, say, 25 minutes before a meal or something like that, mm. it triggers the production of more stomach acid, as far as, I, as far as I'm aware. I'm not an absolute expert on this. Mm. But pretty much everybody thinks they're making too much stomach acid. It's the reverse. And I mean, stomach acid is hydrochloric. You mm -hmm. can get perfectly safe capsules of hydrochloric acid or hydrochloric acid tablets. You could take one of those before a meal if you wanted to. Um, you could take betaine, which is an extract of beetroot. You can get capsules of betaine and pepsin, mm. uh, digestive enzymes, and you can take those uh, with a meal. Or you could take a whole spectrum of digestive enzymes, uh, you know, Lots, lots of ways to improve yeah. absorption. Would, would there be like um, a number one recommendation that you would give people for acid uh, reflux? Well, yeah, understand <laughs> it's not too much stomach acid, it's too little, and research natural ways to increase stomach acid. You go online, look at natural ways, and you'll find things like digestive enzymes, betaine and pepsin, mm. uh, or just changing your diet. You know, apple cider vinegar is a wonderful thing to fix. Yeah, definitely. like that. It's amazing stuff. Um, okay, I wanted to ask you today about C60. This is something that I haven't tried before, but I'm looking into. Now, I understand that you recommend the non-activated uh, version of charcoal. What, what is that, Clive? Okay, so in the old days, when we were having, going to have dinner, we'd be sitting around the fire, breathing in charcoal dust like mad, mm. wouldn't we? Yeah, right. lots of charcoal does. But now we sit around the uh, television or whatever it is. I don't. <laughs> the, the whole charcoal thing has disappeared. I mean, in the old days, again, let's say now we're not sitting around the fire anymore. We've, we've got a, a stove on which we're cooking the food and we would have used wood to do that. Now, when you've got to empty the wood fire, that ash, because minerals are not destroyed by heat, is rich in minerals. It's fantastic, really. So people used to go out and just sprinkle it all over the, the vegetable garden right outside the back door. Handy, convenient. You know, uh, you don't want to put in too much, but um, it's good for plant growth. And um, I met this Nigerian woman years ago who was in her 80s, and she said that where she grew up was deep in the jungle, 
and the tribe had no idea that there were oceans or seas. They didn't know they existed. <clears throat> I said, well, that's weird, because I thought everybody needed a little bit of salt to survive. And she said, well, uh, we didn't know that salt existed, but what we did is after every meal, we'd take some ash, but we'd, we'd get, after we'd cooked the meal, we'd get all the skins and all the leftovers and put them in the fire, in the embers to burn down to ash. Then we'd take that ash and put it in the next day's meal. That was their tradition. Which, and obviously recycling the minerals, right? Wow. And um, uh, I can't remember where I was going with that story now. Well, we're, t we're talking about non-activated and activated. Oh, yeah, charcoal. Yeah. Right. So normal charcoal, you get some like old, old growth forest wood, you know, the old oak trees or whatever, something like that. And you burn that to, to char. You part burn it to charcoal, you know, because it's not completely combusted. And um, that is an incredibly healthy product. Just real charcoal, if it's pure from a, you know, it's really good because charcoal sucks toxins into itself and you can excrete them. And most of us these days are toxically poisoned one way or another. So mm. some charcoal after a meal, for instance, can be really useful. I mean, from time to time, people come and visit me here at the house and sometimes they've eaten out somewhere they don't normally go to and they've got a terrible stomachache. I might give them, depending on their size, four charcoal capsules and Often within 10 minutes, 15 minutes, I say, how's the, how's the tummy? Completely gone. You're completely better. Charcoal mm. can be fantastic mm. for settling stomachs and so on, but it's good for a whole, whole host of things. Anything dark like coal is mm. full of minerals. You can tell by the color. You take a tomato that's bland and insipid and sort of pink colored mm. or a really nice tasting dark red one. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, Charcoal is incredibly important, but there used to be charcoal burners and you could buy your charcoal. Then an industrial method was invented using hydrochloric acid to turn charcoal into activated charcoal. Now, activated charcoal is about four times more effective at removing toxins than ordinary charcoal, but ordinary charcoal you can take every day of your life, no problem. Activated charcoal is so powerful, it pulls out the good stuff as well. Right. It activated charcoal regularly. You can deplete yourself of important nutrients. So that's why I don't like activated charcoal. However, if somebody came to me with desperately, desperately poisoned, mm -hmm. and I had a choice, I get them activated, who cares about some nutrients that save their life, you know? Right, yeah, sure. But then there's a third type of C60, which is the nano C60. And... Um, I am, and various people I know, just feel intuitively nervous of that one. Um, partly because of the manufacturing methods of the nano C60. Now, C60 is the structure of carbon. Mm. Uh, carbon C60 looks like a, a sort of um, a football, lots of different, 60 different sides. as uh, the basis of a fullerene in Buckminster Fuller. Yeah. Um, but the size of it, it's, it's um, electrically, um, you can transmit electricity through it. You know, for instance, um, oh, Shungite. Yeah. Shungite contains uh, C60 and it's electrically conductive. 
And my concern, the concern of others, is if you're putting nano-sized, electrically conductive, minute amounts of carbon C60, which, which is not the human form of it, like charcoal, mm. uh, are you ever going to get it out again? Are you going to become a radio transmitter? Um, so I've avoided C60, even though lots of people get great results from mm. this nano stuff. I just prefer the old-fashioned charcoal, I guess. Right, so that make, that makes a lot of sense to me now. So with the non-activated version, <clears throat> you could take that quite happily and safely every day, and there wouldn't you be. You, you probably, probably wouldn't be any point. You probably wouldn't want to, but you could in theory. I've got a video about C60 charcoal uh, online, which people could watch, uh, where somebody who knows a lot more than I do mm -hmm. explains the whole thing. Brilliant. Okay. Um, Thanks for clearing that one up. Um, so let's talk about flu season, shall we? Because we're approaching winter in England at the moment. Um, I would imagine by now that most people would understand the benefit of taking vitamin D3 and zinc uh, for the immune system. I would imagine that most people, or at least some of my viewers now, would know about the uh, Salinas pooling protocol for vitamin C, um, which can be of uh, enormous benefit to people. Um, but are, are there any other things that we could be uh, looking at taking or using uh, to either prevent uh, cold or flu-like symptoms or, or treating cold and flus? All right. Well, but let's look at flu from a different perspective than the normal. <clears throat> imagine that... Imagine that somebody had accidentally poisoned themselves, right? That they're poisoned. So what's the body going to do? Well, it might give you the shits. You might break out into sweat. You know, the body would do everything it could to get rid of it. Probably come out through the lymph system. Uh, you might get a bad smell coming out. You you would be breathing out the toxins. Hopefully, you might be peeing them out. One way or another, the body might raise the temperature to try and get the toxins out. You know. Let's say, you know, bacterial infection. You know, some, some is, let's say you're poisoned with a bacterial infection. The body's going to do all those things, everything it possibly can to get the toxins out. So what is the flu? Is it some pesky virus that's come along and bitten you on the bottom? Mm. Or is it actually a detoxification event? Mm. So, I mean, I noticed 40 years ago or something, I noticed that so many of my friends... When they went on holiday, when they came back, they said, I caught a bloody cold from the air conditioning of the aeroplane. And the first four days, I arrived in my lovely place and I felt really rotten. And it occurred to me, could it be a relaxation detoxification event? So they get on the plane, they've probably been overworking, desperate to go on holiday, desperate to sit down on that plane and just relax. I've, I've made it. We didn't miss the flight. Yeah, we're, we're there on the way to holiday. And their body goes, wow, this person stopped working. They can be ill now because all they're going to do is lie on a beach and relax or something. Perfect time to have a detoxification. And out comes all that snot. You get a temperature. You're feeling awful. You know, because to repair, you've got to rest, right? Mm -hmm. And so... They end up in bed for a few days. And it struck me then, what if it's not something they caught from the air conditioning? Because not everybody catches it. Could it literally be a detoxification event? 
And to me, increasingly, that makes some sense as opposed to the traditional way of looking at it. And so when, when I started taking vitamin C, seriously, you might say, I never got a cold or a flu or anything ever again. So I, I used to get three a year. Mm-hmm. So what was it? Was it that the vitamin C was turning, was managing to detoxify me? Because that's what vitamin C does, amongst other things, detoxifies you. Was it, and I felt it was, that I was taking the vitamin C and that was all I needed. So I didn't need to have a, a flu or a cold because I had nothing left to detox. I'd already got it out, neutralizing mm. it with the vitamin C and magnesium and iodine. I mean, think about iodine for a minute. If you've got enough iodine in your thyroid, the blood every, whatever, 15 minutes or something passes through the thyroid. Now, if you've got enough iodine in the thyroid, let's say there's a rogue bacteria that's got in, you've eaten a poisoned prawn or something. Well, every few minutes, the bloodstream will go through the iodine and the iodine, if you've got enough of it, will wipe out any bacteria you can think of. Yeah, nothing can... That's why they paint, before they do an operation in the hospital, they paint you with iodine, with a big paintbrush, to mm. kill any nasty pathogens. Yeah. So um, that's one of the reasons people get ill. They haven't got enough iodine in their thyroid to knock stuff out, right. fungal infections or whatever. You know. mm. There was, there was a talk, I, I seem to remember, during the pandemic, people were talking about iodine, weren't they? as uh, a material that could help a lot with uh, a certain disease beginning with C. Yes. Well, when I started writing that that certain disease beginning with C could be reversed using vitamin C, Mm -hmm. I got attacked by almost every government agency in existence. I bet. (laughs) Uh, Because that's what they didn't want. There are a few things they didn't didn't want you to know about ivermectin, but they Mm. particularly didn't want you to know about Vitamin C, ivermectin is a drug, but vitamin C isn't even a drug, and it's mm-hmm. chips. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I didn't hear anybody talking about vitamin C apart from yourself. There was no one else talking about it, but that I, was... Go on. Well, I'm sure there were, but they wouldn't have been on, on YouTube. So every time I put one, one up about vitamin C, they took it down, like, within yeah. five minutes, you know. Yeah. There's, you know, there's keywords. I realised that I can't use the any keyword beginning with C, basically. Mm, sure. Okay. So just just to recap, Clive, uh, as we approach flu season, um, we want to make sure that we stocked up on vitamin C, vitamin D, iodine, as you've just said. Is there anything else at all that we could have in our our cabinets to help? Well, there are a few things. Let me just first say that quality is everything. And vitamin C, I recommend pure powder. Mm -hmm. You're taking one big capsule that effervesces and it's one gram. You might as well hardly not bother. Um, to to take a meaningful amount of vitamin C, um, you need to uh, realize that maybe half a teaspoonful of pure powder, which is about two grams, two and a half grams, twice a day might be ideal. Vitamin C only lasts about 12 hours in the body, so doing it twice a day would be ideal in water. And on my website, I do a few different types and it explains, you know, one's child-friendly, the taste isn't too awful, then there's one for sensitive stomachs. Then there's one that I like, which is just ascorbic acid. Yeah, uh, it's important to get the non-GMO one. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, again, if somebody joined the Secret Health Club, there's so much information there about every everything we're talking about, really. Yes, yeah, uh, so and I just say I'm a member, 
and it's absolutely amazing. It's fantastic. It's it's accelerated my learning in this field, just massive amounts. It's absolutely fantastic. You've got videos on there. You've got loads and loads of articles. You've got information on uh, pretty much any type of condition or, or illness that you can think of. And um, <clears throat> obviously, I can't say too much on here on YouTube about it, but I would massively recommend that people look into it because it's it's been a revelation to me. Well, you know, when when they first chucked me off YouTube uh, in 2014, you know, people think it's recent, but it's not. Um, the um, I realized that if to keep my information available, that the best way was to start a private members club, because behind the club you can do pretty much anything you like. And so over the last eight years, since since that happened, every time I see an article or a video where I go, wow, that that's just brilliant, mm. I'll put it up on, on the site. And I might take down one that I previously put up was slightly less brilliant, because what, I, what I'm trying not to do is to provide so much information you don't know where to start. So I'm trying to present relatively relatively small amounts, but the quality stuff, Yeah, you see what I mean. And I've just listed it on A to Z. You know, if Granny's got Alzheimer's, you look up Alzheimer's or whatever. And um, it does cost some money to join. But if you buy supplements, then we give discounts on, on the supplements. So it pretty much pays for itself. And it's a lifetime membership as well, isn't it, Clive? No, it used to be. Oh, okay, sorry. That's annual. Yep, fine, okay. Brilliant. But yeah, I can't recommend it enough. I've literally lost hours in the day <laughs> on Secret Health Club because uh, you just learn so much on there. It's fantastic. Um, okay. Should we, um, can I briefly uh, just talk to you about children and supplements? Because quite a few of my customers have asked me about kids and, you know, should, I mean, what do you think about children taking supplements? Is it necessary? I mean, what, what would you say? Well, um, you know, as we discussed earlier about people who are older find it more difficult to digest food, uh, most kids can survive very happily on food that isn't that great because they're so good at getting all the nutrition out. But at the same time, uh, quality of food has direct relationship to the quality of your brain and your intelligence and your ability to see and hear and do everything. So um, as far as supplements are concerned... Frankly, I think that most children, just like most adults, are low on almost everything because the food isn't the quality that it should be. If your child's getting a school lunch, well, they're, they're hardly going to be getting a, a decent meal. Mm. Um, so, yes, I think for some people, uh, children do need supplements these days, as sad as that fact is. Mm -hmm. I work it out by weight. You know, if your child is a quarter of your weight, well, consider that maybe a quarter of whatever you take might be the right amount. The problem with supplements for children is some of them don't taste nice. Mm. And a lot of children don't want to take a capsule. Mm -hmm. There are often ways around it, but it, it can be tricky. Um, but if your child's low on magnesium, for example, you can give them a magnesium chloride bath. Mm. Enjoy baths. Yep. And then get it in that way rather than giving them capsules, which they might not take. Or you mm. can get the liquid magnesium spray and rub it in, you know, like a nice massage. Mm. And so, I mean, you know, we've talked previously about the magnesium symptoms. Let's say your child isn't sleeping soundly. 
they, they're anxious, worried, nervous, they're constipated, they get cramps or menstrual cramps or twitches or spasms or hiccups, back pain, knee pain, um, depression, you know, all the magnesium symptoms, you only need one of them to be low on magnesium, if you like. So it can help dramatically. I mean, anybody depressed, you know, if your child's, I mean, look at children these days, they're all worried they're going to get blown up in a nuclear explosion and God knows what. And mm. the parents are freaking out because they accidentally left a light bulb on last week. That might cost them a thousand quid. You know? <laughs> There's a great meme going around this tramp sit, sitting on, in the street and this guy says, you know, how did how do you end up here? He said, I left a light bulb on. No, I've seen that one, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant, yeah. Um, so, you know, children do need, well, let's say your child is going swimming regularly. Iodine would be a really great idea. Yeah, because they don't like drinking it in water, dilute it more. If they really don't like that, well, you can paint it on if you have to. Mm. Bearing in mind, you need about eight times more that way because of the evaporation. Mm. Um, Vitamin C, you know, hopefully you might be able to find a way to slip some vitamin C into your child's uh, drink or or something. Mm. Again, diluted a lot. It doesn't taste nearly as bad as trying to knock back a... A strong yeah. amount, you know. yeah, just in a cordial drink, you know, a, a black currant or something like that, quarter of a teaspoon for a seven or eight year old, maybe once or twice a day would be okay. Well, that might be too much, it right. might be too much. I mean, most people can handle, let's say, half a teaspoonful, but for a lot of people, quarter of a teaspoonful may, may be as much as their gut can handle and they get diarrhea. So, a child, you want to start really slowly, and you know, an eighth of a teaspoonful might be the most you'd want to try to start with. But if you give your child a bottle of water to take to school, you could put some in the water. Mm. Um, uh, you know, I would say five grams a day for an adult might be good. So, I mean, let's say the average child might weigh half your weight or something, then um, uh, two and a half grams is, is about half a teaspoonful, so maybe a quarter of a teaspoonful twice a day. Sure. Um, but if a child's ill, let's say they've got the flu or, or something, going through some event, then they might need a lot more that day, loads more. Mm. And uh, you know, the body's self-regulating with magnesium and vitamin C, so you take too much at once or too much over a day, mm. but the body self-regulates by putting you in, in the bathroom for a bit. Mm. Course, yeah. So I'm I'm taking um, at the moment. I've just started taking five thousand IU's of vitamin D a day. Um, I will probably increase that probably after Christmas to maybe ten thousand a day. Um, For twenty quid, you could buy a test online and just do a finger prick and see if you got it right. Too much, too too little, whatever. Sure. Okay. I was just thinking about children and vitamin D. I mean, well, they need it as much as anybody. They yeah. really do. Sure. Um, um, so, uh, again, you know, Secret Health Club's got information about vitamin D. Uh, if you wanted to look online for information, Dr. Mercola has got a lot of information published about vitamin D, which I think is pretty good. Is that yep. your end or my end? It's my end, Clive. Carry on, please. Um, so, yeah, finding the right dose... Uh, you know, the, the dose that we sell is an adult dose. That would be much too much. But um, the the least expensive vitamin D, which which is fine, comes in little gel caps. And you could get a very sharp knife and 
cut it open, there's like a blob of oil in there, which would be a big dose. You could just cut that oil into a quarter and put it in in any water, juice, anything, you know, or on, it's pretty much tasteless. You can put it on the child's tongue. Mm. Yeah, it's usually easy to cut things in half and dilute them. Some things like magnesium capsules, you open them up, they taste disgusting. Yeah, I know this because uh, on one occasion, I uh, late at night, I should add, I went to have a drink of blackcurrant and I, I thought I was putting some vitamin C in there and I was actually I actually put in magnesium L-threonate and it was disgusting. <laughs> yes, well, well, exactly. So again, the answer is to go back to rubbing it on the skin of the child mm. if they won't take a capsule or a magnesium bath. Rubbing it on is much cheaper than taking a bath of it. Yeah. But That's you need cool. a lot in a bath. You, know, you, you might need up to a kilo in a bath. Mm-hmm. It costs about a pound a kilo. You can buy magnesium chloride from companies like Intralabs, otherwise known as Dead Sea Salts. Yeah. About 30 quid, yeah. you can buy 25 kilos delivered, mm-hmm. probably. So it's dead cheap. Yeah. Personally, I don't like taking magnesium baths because you come out sticky. And mm. I don't, don't terribly like it. And I also, I haven't got the patience to sit around in a hot bath for long enough. Oh, I love a hot bath, but there we are. <laughs> okay. Should we um should we move on to diet now and food? Um sure. for the last for the last few months, two, three months, I've been uh, eating more red meat. Um and I'm I'm kind of moving towards a, a carnivore or largely a, a carnivorous diet. And I have to say that I'm feeling absolutely fantastic. I've I've never felt better, well not for a very long time anyway. Um, but I also I also grow my own food. I'm growing my own vegetables, potatoes, tomatoes, fruits, etc. Um, recently, I found out about the oxalate issue in certain foods, uh, particularly things like spinach, chard, potatoes, um, chocolate, even things like this. So, um, if as far as I'm aware, I've got a pretty decent gut health going on. I don't have any gut health issues uh, as far as I know so should I be avoiding foods that are high in oxalates like the ones I just listed um, or is it okay for somebody with normal gut health to enjoy those foods what would what would you say well I would say everything in moderation Um, a few years ago I was out in Mexico for a conference and my friend we, we had lunch at like this buffet and it was incredible. He was just loading himself up with greenery, nothing else, just greens. Personally, my idea of eating kale, I'd rather, well, I don't, I don't like kale. Anyway, um, he was knocking back all this stuff, and he rings me up about three weeks later and said, you never guess what happened. He said he ended up in hospital. He decided to go on a diet of spinach, kale, cruciferous vegetables, nuts and seeds, and... He hadn't realized that every food he'd chosen was rich in oxalates. Mm. And the reason he ended up in hospital was kidney stones. He was in outrageous pain because he'd, he'd take, eaten too many oxalates. Mm. But, I mean, he'd gone pretty crazy with it. But mm. so let's say somebody who has a green juice every morning, spinach, kale, cruciferous vegetables, but they're in danger of mm. getting too much oxalates. Mm. Well, actually, I, I was uh, doing a green juice almost every day for probably about four or five years up until about a year ago when I found out about the oxalate. So I stopped that immediately. So I'm probably just very fortunate that I got away with that. So you so what, what you're basically saying is for, for um, somebody with normal gut health, 
eating spinach maybe once a week is nothing to worry about probably yeah that that's what i believe funnily enough i had some spinach for lunch so well you look all right so <laughs> you're right <laughs> yeah okay and obviously like potatoes as well because i i do like my potatoes mashed potatoes every now and again so yeah it would be uh, awful to have to give them up altogether and i've i've just grown sack loads worth of them as well so <laughs> So that's good to know that but if if some somebody's got a gut health issue, then really they should be avoiding those foods, shouldn't they? High oxalate foods. Well, um, if they've got a gut health issue, they want to repair the gut. Um, and that may not be difficult, you know. I mean, water kefir, I think, is a great material. Mm -hmm. Probiotic foods or probiotic supplements. Um I mean, what people don't fully understand is what the gut lining is. And when somebody says, I've got a leaky gut, what actually is going on? So if somebody's got a leaky gut, what's actually happening is that microscopic pieces of feces are traveling around the bloodstream and entering the brain. Yeah. Because if you've got a leaky gut, you've got a leaky gut brain, brain you know, the gut brain barrier, right? Yeah, so, sure. Uh, you've heard the phrase shit for brains. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a problem when you've got a leaky gut. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Thanks. Um, but there are all sorts of things that can fix it. I mean, fulvic minerals uh, yeah. Yeah. are great for, for fixing, you know, for getting, you want tight junctions and that's what mm. fulvic minerals can do. You know, uh, first of all, fix that. I, I, I wouldn't be so worried about the oxalate part of it i'd just be concerned to try and fix the leaks the gut sure okay and you mentioned fulvic minerals and that just reminded me of something we were talking about earlier um am i right in saying that um you could because I, I try to eat as organically as possible um obviously i'm growing my food that way and i'm fussy about what i buy but if i was uh, to go out for a meal at a local restaurant um, I don't know how the food's been cooked, where it's come from, how it's been sourced, etc. Um, chances are that I'm going to be eating food that's been sprayed with glyphosate and, and other nasties. So am I right in saying that fulvic minerals can eliminate glyphosate or neutralise glyphosate? They will go some way uh, to making the glyphosate safe, uh, you know, to change, change its structure. Sure. Um, charcoal will do it. I mean, there are a number of actual materials that will uh, get glyphosate out of your body. I'm told it only has about a month's life in the body anyway. So, right. you know, so, but yeah, fulvic minerals would be my top choice if I'd been out to a meal and I thought, well, you know, there was glyphosate in that for sure. Hmm. Yeah, fulvic minerals are my top choice in, in water, maybe 10 drops. You could do 10 drops three times a day if you're particularly concerned oh really okay that's good to know um okay urine therapy this is something that i've come across recently one or two guests of mine on the channel have talked briefly about it and have advocated doing it what are your thoughts on urine therapy clive it tastes better when it's cooled down in the fridge than it does when it's warm <laughs> okay. it's not my favorite therapy but i have tried it obviously yeah I mean, I tried it mainly because of Dave Murphy, you know, allegedly Dave. Anyway, so someone, it must have been years ago, he told me this story. He'd decided that he wouldn't just do 
urine therapy that he would not drink anything or eat anything except recycle his own urine over and over and over again. Wow. So after two weeks, he said that he could do, he was then 40 or something, he said he could do yoga moves that he hadn't been able to do for 20 years. His, his body had freed itself up. And uh, his girlfriend apparently was very, very pleased about something that had changed, I think. And um, after about 28 days, he was feeling absolutely incredible. All any little issues he'd had were gone. <clears throat> and you know, you'd want to be well hydrated before you start. Okay. But, I mean, so many people have been using urine therapy mm. uh, for, 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 for forever. Thousands of years, literally. I understand it was, um, there were actually medical centers, I think, in India uh, for many years or many centuries that um, uh, focused primarily on urine therapy as a way of getting people better. So, it's yeah. a very long and old tradition, isn't it? But just on the on the surface of it, when I first heard about it, I sort of scratched my head and thought, well, hold on a minute. I thought we were excreting toxins when we urinated. So no, that comes out the back end. Right. Okay. What, what comes out in, in the urine is the excesses. So, you know, you, you, you have too much B vitamins, then your pee can come out yellow. You know, there, there are... Uh, but the good stuff comes out in the urine, which is why it can be recycled. The bad stuff comes out the back end. Wow. Okay, that's very interesting. So I'll be, I'll be trying that and uh, reporting back on that one to see uh, what results I can share. Yeah. Okay. So um, before before we close, Clive, um, I'd like to talk to you about uh, something that's, I suppose, non-health related, really. Um, the tipping point. Um, two and a half years ago, it's been a very interesting two and a half years. When the uh, when the pandemic started, the government red pilled a multitude of people, and I've been awake for around fifteen years or so now. And I thought, wow, this could be the moment. This could be it. Um, we may now have reached the tipping point. Um, so, do you do you think we're there yet? Do you think the tipping point's even important? Do you think it's a myth? What what are your what are your thoughts on the tipping point and how close are we to to you know being a really challenging uh, the way that the world is is run? Well, um, you know, for the last two and a half years, I've been making videos trying to wake people up, and I now realised I was to a large degree wasting my time. Okay, they're too deeply hypnotised. <clears throat> I think what's going to happen is that everybody's going to wake up worldwide. And they're all going to hate their government for everything that they've done. Mm -hmm. And Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum are going to come in and say, look, as you all know, all your governments are useless and have got it wrong. Here's 1,000 credits, digital credits for your new account we're going to open. Cash is going to be withdrawn and everything will be fantastic. You'll own nothing and be happy. Yeah. And unfortunately, the current level of intelligence that people have got they'll go with it yeah and so in other words you think that this the whole the last two and a half years have been engineered basically to achieve what you were just saying that end result well, the last 25 years or more yeah this is this is not new you know the governments aren't making mistakes putin's mm -hmm. a global world economic forum young leader just like macron just like trust like just like all of them Mm -hmm. you know, the whole 
political system is infiltrated and evil, corrupted, nasty mess. And uh, I'm hoping that the people will yet wake up to the fact that the problem is government. Mm. The only solution that I can see is that every government worldwide has to be disbanded and we go back to local. You know, I think mm. the EU is likely to break up. You know, Italy mm. was, what, 18 principalities up till the end of the last century or something. I think people are going to realise that we're, we're better off without these these idiots. But if if they bring in fuel rationing, food rationing, and you've got to get a digital passport to get it, then we're fucked at that yeah. point. Absolutely. Uh, freedom is lost. Yeah. So the answers are things like the Bradbury Pound. You know about the Bradbury Pound. Yes, I've heard of it. That was um, a currency in this country that was issued, was it around World War Two or just prior no, it was to World War One? It was yeah. uh, the the world was waking up to the fact that World War One was coming. And obviously, everybody was panicking, wanted their gold out the bank. And of course, the banks don't have the gold. So, you know, it would have been a disaster. It would have been total chaos. All the banks would have gone bust. All the people, you know, it would have been the end of com commercial Britain. Mm -hmm. So uh, it just so happened that the bankers came uh, to the government, said, help us. And the government had to, they had no choice. And so it happened to be on a bank holiday. So they extended the bank holiday for another three days. And on, by the end of that, they'd managed to print brand new banknotes. So instead of the Bank of England printing the money with interest, the government itself printed the money without interest themselves, just like they do with coins. You know, we, the Royal Mint print the coins. There's no interest on coins. It's the banks who print the notes, and there's interest on that. So the government printed interest-free money. So on the first day, they didn't have time, so they were only printed on one side, the banknotes. Mm -hmm. On the second day, they printed on both sides. And the worry was for the Bank of England and uh, the government, would the people of the country accept these new bits of paper? Mm -hmm. Only bits of paper. But they were backed not by imaginary gold that the bankers claimed they had in the vaults, which they didn't because of fractional reserve banking and theft, um, the Bradbury Pound and, and the, I think the Secretary of State or whoever was called Bradbury, John Bradbury, that's why it was nicknamed the Bradbury Pound. The government printed the money against the value of UK. Like the UK has got buildings, roads, infrastructure, farms, intelligent people. You know, England, the UK is worth trillions and trillions and trillions. You can, you can borrow money against that because it's rock solid, right? Mm. Unlike the banks. So, the same thing happened with the Civil War. Um, you know, Jefferson, I believe, had created the greenback dollar, which was, again, interest-free money. And uh, the bankers assassinated Lincoln eventually. You know, the bankers always want money for war. The English, bank, the English bankers and government wanted World War I, so they, they had to create lots of money. And, uh, you know, the Civil War was also funded by this off-balance sheet, government-printed money, so to speak. Off-balance sheet is probably the wrong word. And we could do that again. Every country in the world, you know, I mean, I want to get rid of all governments, but let's say that doesn't happen. We've got to live with governments. The people need to tell the governments, insist, that they stop usury. When was the only time that Jesus got pissed off when he threw the usury, the bankers out of the temple, right, for lending money at interest? 
we don't need to pay interest to psychopathic criminal bankers. Governments can print the money against the value of England and we can create value rather than creating debt. You know, when the banks print the money, they don't print the interest. So people are constantly going bust because the, the interest doesn't exist. There's never enough money to go around except when they print it and flood it and dilute everybody's. So the Bradbury Pound, I made a video about it on odyssey.com. Check it out because it really is about the only answer left that if government stays, the, the only way to get to not go down the social credit, digital yeah. currency route. The Bradbury yeah. Pound is fantastic. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you that um, governments have to go. I'm, I'm a very much an anarchist in the old sense of the word, definitely. Um, what you were talking about with the Bradbury Pound reminded me a little bit of what was occurring. Uh, I'm being a bit risky here because it's YouTube, but what was occurring in Germany in the 1930s? Didn't they do something quite fairly similar to... Well, well yes, that, the, the man with the moustache. Um, while it's a hugely complex interweb of stories, mm -hmm. um, the reason that Germany was able to recover was because of low interest money. Yeah. Partly. And yeah, that's one of the reasons that uh, the German right got smashed. Mm -hmm. You know, um, anybody who hasn't read revisionist history like David Irving, David Irving um, needs to work out what really happened in Second World War because the winners tell the story and the story of World War II is not at all what we're told. It's all very different. David Irvine. And of course, I, I started to come across this information um, by watching a documentary, a very long one called The Greatest Story Never Told. I'm not exactly. sure if, that, yeah, yes. if, that's, if that's still online anywhere, but my God, is was that going to be on YouTube, that's for sure. You no, know, definitely not. No, the last I heard it was on Daily Motion. But um, yeah, if um, anyone wants to sort of look into revised history, that might be a very good place to start. Anyway, Clive, before we get thrown off, shall we leave it there? And um, Thank you so much for coming on with me today and sparing your time, your precious time. Um, I'll be, uh, I recommend anyone checks out Clive's channel on Odyssey. Um, it's very, very good. And just uh, thank you for everything you're doing, Clive. You've been a, a massive influence on my life in the last 10 years. So uh, just keep doing what you're doing and, and thank you very, very much for your time. Great. Thanks for having me. Cheers, everyone. Please like, share and subscribe. <laughs>